It's so good to be together. I want to welcome our family, friends, guests that are joining, all the families that are dedicating their children. So glad you're here. If you're a visitor, we pray and hope that you sense the love of God, the joy of Jesus, and that you encounter him in a powerful way this morning. We're continuing a sermon series that we began last week, and the goal of this series is for us to unpack what we call as the gospel. Perhaps you've heard that word, and it has a lot of meaning, a lot, a lot of connotation. The goal is for us to really understand what this word means, what the scriptures speak about, the gospel. But more importantly, we want to apply it to our lives. We want to examine what it looks like for us to actually apply the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news of Jesus. And so last week, if you weren't here, we began to talk about a very important aspect of the gospel called the incarnation, the act of God entering into his very own creation. And this is an aspect of the good news, the gospel, that we typically, sadly, only talk about during Christmas season. Once a year, we reflect about God becoming a human being, entering into his own creation to redeem us and what that means like. But we don't always examine what it looks like to apply that throughout our lives. Today, we're going to continue the series, but we're actually going to go a bit backwards, quite a bit backwards, because we're going to talk about restoring creation, restoring creation. We're going to go to John's gospel, the first chapter, beginning in verse one, and it says, This In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we bring our hearts to you in expectation and humility, and we say, speak to us. We desire to hear your voice, to encounter you, Lord, to leave this gathering with a fresh touch of your presence on our lives. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus, reveal him, transform our hearts, 
meet us this day. May we grow in our affection and our love for you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many have ever experienced the power of first impressions? You've probably experienced it, but you probably never put a label on it. But it's quite simply, it's the first time you meet someone, the first time you experience something, it leaves a profound impression on you. And it's actually hard to see beyond that first impression. And so if you meet someone and they're really kind, you'll probably think that they're kind until proven otherwise. If you meet someone and they're kind of rude, you'll probably assume they're rude until proven otherwise. The power of a first impression is seen throughout our lives in so many different ways. What's interesting, if you study the scriptures, the very first page, the first accounts of God revealing who he is, you won't find a bloody cross, nor will you find an empty tomb but you'll find God creating the world. His first re revealing of himself, his most, it, it, the deepest essence of himself that we come in contact with in the opening pages of scripture is God as creator. He's not giving us laws or commands. He's not telling us how to behave, what to do, what not to do. His first act of revealing himself, his first impression is that of creator. You know, last week we had this Intro to Hope class, and I love this class. It's an opportunity that I get to hang out with people that are visiting our church and want to find out more in the history, the vision of our church, and I had a great conversation with some of the folks there, and this idea of the difference between a person's functional Bible and the actual Bible came up in the conversation. The idea is this. For most of us, we have a functional Bible that's kind of how we view the Bible. And then there's the actual Bible. For most Christians, their functional Bible begins in Genesis 3 and ends in Revelation 20. Now, if you don't know what those passages speak of, it's going to become very clear why that's problematic. Because Genesis 3, the first thing you see is the fall of humanity. Humanity pushing God out of the center of their lives Choosing, some, choosing themselves as God, saying we're going to determine right and wrong independently from you. That's Genesis 3. Revelation 20 is the lake of fire. If that's our functional Bible, there's a problem there because the actual Bible doesn't begin in the fall and doesn't end in the lake of fire. The actual Bible begins in God creating the universe, creating everything we see for his good pleasure. It, he created it with teeming possibilities with endless creative possibilities and the final pages of scripture is not a lake of fire but a brand new city coming down those are radically different stories mind you if the scriptures begin in creation and a brand new city being recreated our world being recreated God is telling us an interesting story that we need to understand our place in it it's an interesting thing to consider that Jesus, who was hung on a cross by nails, that we read in John 1, if he created everything that we see, then he actually created the steel that would become the nails that would crucify him. John is echoing this idea of creation that dates back from Genesis, and he is letting us know that 
what we understand as the beginning of everything, that Jesus was right there at the center. Why is this important? Because if we don't understand the purpose of something, if we don't understand the origins of something, we can get very lost in the present. How many have ever walked in into the middle of a conversation and felt utterly lost? Or maybe you came into someone's home and they were watching a movie and you were in the middle of the tail end. So confusing, so frustrating, because you want to ask questions, you want to engage, but you quite simply can't in a useful way. And if you do, you're going to look quite foolish very fast because you don't know the context. You don't know what was happening before you got there. And it's an, it's an amazing thing that in the world that we live in, that we understand from the scriptures that God's first acts of creation, in our minds, we could categorize as both intellectual labor and manual labor. The first thing we see God doing is creating with his words, with his mind, and then taking his hands in dirt and creating a human being and breathing life into it. And so from the very foundations, the origins of the world that we live in, we see a God who's creative, who spoke the world into existence with his creative words. Those words created the physical realities that we live in. And then we also see him using his hands, creating, breathing life into that dirt, creating a human being, and in the end of that process, if you read the Genesis account, at the very end, the pinnacle of his creation was not the mountains, as glorious as they are, was not the seas or the oceans, was not animals or wildlife. From God's perspective, and this is important for you to know, from God's perspective, you and I are the pinnacle of his creation. I know most of us don't walk around feeling that. Or believing that. We walk around just, just burdened and heavy and feeling low. And people have told us that we're nothing and, and have put us down. But God in his creative acts created you and I and assigned us this incredibly privileged status that we are the pinnacle of his creation. How do we know this? Because if you look at the Genesis account, after each day, after everything God created, he assessed, he praised, he gave a statement. And he said, this is good. Then the next day would come. He would create more things. And at the end of that day, he would say, this is good. Do you know what he said after he created human beings? He said, this is very good. This is outstanding. This is a different category of good. Why did he say that? Because of what he said about us that he didn't say about any other aspect of his creation. He didn't say this, what we're going to read in a moment. He didn't say this after he created the trees or after he created dolphins or after he created mountain ranges. He didn't say these words, but he said these words about us. Genesis 1:26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What Genesis 1.26 tells us about us, and you need to know this, because society tries to rob this from us, 
tries to tell us otherwise. Our experiences try to tell us otherwise. But God says, when he created you and I, he created us in his image. That you are a carbon copy of God. That you carry characteristics and attributes that can only be explained by knowing who your father is. I have four children, and there was no chance in the world that any of our kids were not going to have a sense of humor because of their mother and because of me. If you met them, it would be a matter of time. If you knew me, you'd probably be able to guess. If you didn't know they were my children, you might think, these kids might be related to Chris. <laughs> they bear my image. They bear my wife's image. Similarly, when we talk about us, if we're created in God's image, then we see God creating human beings, us, who are also creators. You are a creator. You, are, you were created to create. You were designed to mirror and image God, and you are most like him, not when you're destroying, but when you're creating. When you're taking the stuff of creation, stewarding it, and creating something out of the chaos of life. When you're managing the elements that you've been given, whether you can be creative with your schedule, you can be creative with your team at, at your job, you can be creative with the money that you have and finding creative ways to make it stretch. You can be creative in your relationships and how you manage them in a winsome way. There is no end to the fact that you and I have been created and designed by our God to image him. We were created to create. There's no human being in this room or live that is not a creator. And you are most flourishing. You feel most alive when you and I are imaging God and we are creating we're told in Genesis 2 that God creates Adam and Eve and he places Adam specifically in a garden. And verse 15, Genesis 2:15, it says, And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to care of it. Here's the bad news. The good news is some of you were feeling really good a few moments ago. It was like, I am creative. Wow, yeah, that's right. I always knew I belonged in Milan. You know, like, I, I, that's right. Thank you, someone, for affirming it. Um, what you probably didn't want to hear is that the canvas through which we display the art of, of our creativity in life is a thing called work. Adam's creativity was expressed in this garden that was given to him by God as his job. And so every single day when we commit to the work of our hands, whatever that work is, even if your title at your job is not creative whatever, even if you're just a shift manager, even if you're just a street sweeper, or maybe you're like just in a cubicle doing office work, or, or you're a teacher and, and you don't feel fully creative, or you provide security, or you're a professor, whatever the case is, whether you see your job as creative or not, it is in fact actually the canvas that God has put you in front of 
And he says, create. I created you in my image. You're most like me when you create. Now create. Some of you didn't know the thing, the place, the people that you complain about is actually your canvas. That's the canvas. That's your exhibit. That's your display of your creativity. You're called to steward that. You're called to manage those resources. And you're uniquely designed to create something out of it that only you can. If they placed me in your job, I couldn't create the way you could. I wasn't designed to be in that space. But if they put you somewhere else, you probably wouldn't be able to create the same way because you weren't designed for every single space. It would be a fresh, how silly would it be for a fish to be like self-deprecating and saying, I'm awful, I just don't have any talent because it can't run 400 meters. It wasn't designed to run, it was designed to swim. In its environment, it can create naturally and beautifully and it can do unique things that others can't in that space. So often, we are in front of our canvas and two things are happening. Either we don't see ourselves as creative, so we don't optimize the opportunities before us and do what we can do, or we don't see that space as our canvas. And we're imagining and wandering in our minds, I could be here, I could be there, I wish I was doing this. But what if your job, your vocation, your responsibilities, this goes beyond what you get paid for. How many stay-at-home mothers do you know? Those are the real MVPs. They have so much work that they don't get paid for. Or how many mothers you know that work and then come home and go into their second job? Because the house, it, there, there's so many things that we don't consider as our work because maybe we don't get paid for. Maybe society doesn't put honor on it. Yet and still, whatever you're responsible for, that's your canvas. And God has designed you to create in that canvas. So why are we talking about Genesis and creation when we talk about the gospel, the good news? If we started in the incarnation, why did we rewind so back to go to the beginning? It's because of this. The reason why Jesus actually came into this world was not to create a new world but it was to redeem an old world. Jesus came into this world to redeem it so that it could return to its original creative intent. I talk to people that don't follow Jesus all the time. I love to just hear their questions, hear their thoughts, and, and, I, and I just love to be with them because um, they say some of the craziest things and, and then they think some of the things I say are crazy and it's just a great conversation. And, and then I love when sometimes they'll curse in front of me and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, like if I'm made of glass or something, I'm like, I'm good, I'm a New Yorker, I've heard it all, we're good. And so, and, but more often than not, 
Many of them will say, it's hard for me to believe in God when I see all the chaos in this life. This doesn't seem like all of this was created by an intelligent being. Seems chaotic, out of order. And to that I say, I agree. And actually God agrees. Right? And they look at me puzzled. I said, do you know that everything that, the way we experience it is not the way it was designed. Everything we experience in this life was designed with a different creative intent to bring glory and honor to God and flourishing to his creation. And so when you look in this world and you see anything that doesn't cause people to flourish or anything that is glorifying things more than God, that is a disruption in its creative design. That's not what it was created for. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, why he came into this world and what he's trying to do in your life, in my life, in this world, he's trying to bring the world back to its original creative design. He's trying to restore creation. When he first created work, it wasn't created to be as frustrating as it is. When he first created relationships, he didn't create it for them to have the thorny issues that they have. All of the things that we experience as disruptions are a result of the decisions of human beings to push God out of the center and call ourselves God. And the reverberation of that continues to be felt this day. And so you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are receiving grace from Jesus as he's seeking to transform us, make us new again, in order to restore us to our creative design. If you're frustrated in some aspect of your life, if each of us has an area of our life that we could say these words over. This is not working. This is not sustainable. This isn't functioning. This isn't ideal. I don't know how much longer I could keep doing it. This isn't working. What are you expressing in that, in that phrase? You're expressing, essentially, this is not living out its creative design. It's out of sync with its creative intent. God created it for something else, and it's living out of design. You know, I will admit to you something that, um, actually, I'm not like ashamed of it, but it, some of you might find this a little weird. I'm 42 years old, um, and I actually thoroughly enjoy putting Lego sets together. I mean, like, you don't understand. Like, I'm not even trying to be facetious. The joy is like next level. Um, and it's hard to share that joy with a seven-year-old because he wants it to be his joy. And I should let it be his joy. But he doesn't know, like, hey, I pay for that Lego set. It's my joy right now. You don't, you don't know the things that I'm going through, son. Let me put this dinosaur together. Love this experience with him. We've put together a lot of Lego sets over the years. And it's this really cool experience. If you, uh, I wish our church was sponsored by Lego because I'm pretty sure a lot of you are going to go buy Legos after this, and that would be great to have that money so we could do great things in this society. But anyway, um, we get these Lego sets, and we sit down, 
And half of the job is taming him from opening the sets and just doing things that he thinks is cool. Because the thing is, these Lego pieces are interchangeable. You could do a lot of different things with it, but they were given to you in this package with the intent that you would follow the instructions, look at the picture, and cause all of that to align. And so the experience when I sit down with him is, oh, dad, look what I could do. And he's gotten better as he's gotten older. When he was younger, this was just a tug of war experience in my soul. Because I'm like, let dad put it together and I'll present it to you, please. This, this is five hours. This should have taken 30. Come on. And so he's gotten better. Now, most of the time he does it. I'm just overseeing it. But I oversee it with a bit of sadness because, again, I just want to do it myself. And so if you ever see me putting together a Lego set, don't get concerned. Don't call the authorities and say, oh, he's, he's good. He's good. He's having a good day. And so, but this is the experience. We're looking at the picture. We're looking at the instructions. We're looking at the pieces. And we're trying to figure out the pieces, how they go together, looking at the instructions. And then when that's kind of confusing, we look at the picture. And then sometimes we're looking at the picture. We're looking at the pieces. We're looking at the instructions. And we know we're off whenever we build something that doesn't line up with the instructions and how the instructions tell us this should look. In that very simple analogy, it actually mirrors so much of our life, if we think about it, where God has this image of what the world should be like. He has this image of what your marriage should be like, of what your relationship with your children and your extended family, of what your relationship with this world and your neighbors should look like, and what work should look like, and what money uh, stewarding it should look like. He has an image of all of that. And then he has instructions from his word that teaches us the proper order of things and how to put them together together. Our issue is that we are constantly taking the things that God gives us that if we follow his instructions, they would build out beautifully. And instead of making the dinosaur, we create a hippo. Instead of following the image, the visual, the instruction, we end up doing our own thing and asking God to bless what we did rather than us actually doing what he told us to do. But life becomes so much simpler, so much more flourishing when we get clarity on the things that we have been given to steward, we don't get to choose how we put them together. We have to figure out God's design, God's intent, and build them the way he tells us to. In our life, when we look all around us, we could see so many examples of things that were built by human beings that never took into consideration God's blueprint. We are building families based on our own ideas. We're, we're, we're constructing our own sense of identity based on our own ideas. We're determining right and wrong based on our own ideas. And all around us, we see these things built up with the raw materials that we were given and that those raw materials never factored in their creative design. What Jesus has come to do in every aspect of our life is to take the things that have been built up, stacked up in our life that don't measure up 
to his creative design, and he comes and deconstructs that and builds it anew and restores it to its creative intent. And you and I, we do the same. Every profession, every responsibility we've been given, if you boil it down to its simplest essence, it's you and I working to restore things to their creative intention. What did God design this to be? And you and I are there to steward that. As a parent, you're looking at your kids and say, what did God design you to be? I'm here to make sure that that happens. When you go into your workplaces, you're looking at and say, what did God design this office to be? He probably didn't. You know he didn't design it to be a place of frustration and gossip and unfairness and, and corruption and lack of integrity. You know he didn't design it for that. So what does it look like for you to restore that place to its creative intent? On and on and on and on. Every area of brokenness in this world That's a space that Jesus desires to return that to his creative intent, the original design. And so Jesus, when he comes into this world, the gospel, the good news, the incarnation, its intention is to change us in order that we might change the world back into its original intent. So as we land this plane, every single one of us is a creative person. Every single one of us in this room. You don't have to be a fashion designer. You don't have to be a digital artist or a musician to call yourself creative. Every single one of us has been given responsibilities, the raw materials of creation that we're called to steward and to bring back to its creative design. I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He says, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets as Raphael painted pictures, sweep streets as Michelangelo carved marble, sweep streets as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. Whatever you're created, whatever your canvas is, Whatever your brush is, that's the thing that you have to figure out and then enter into that space with the full force of your creative capacity. You're made in the image of God and go and execute your responsibilities to his glory and for the good of others. You were created to create. That's good news. Here's the bad news. We live in a society that pegs our identity to the things that we produce. And so the bad news is that even though you were created to create, you and I could very easily determine our identity, our self-worth, based on our output. So what that means is if you're creating and you're doing great and you're, you're running on all cylinders, you feel fantastic. You feel great about yourself. But if you're not, if things aren't going well, if, they, if you're not, your output isn't stellar, if you aren't, you know, a, a celebrity, if people don't know your name, if, if your net worth isn't whatever, then you're walking around feeling dejected. And here's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. Even though you were created to create, and even though you and I were created in the image of God who is a creator, 
The love that we receive from God was never pegged to our output. You are loved by God whether you are crushing it or not. Whether you are just just killing your to-do list and managing your responsibilities and no eggs have cracked yet and everything you're still juggling everything and nothing's falling apart or if everything is not working. I mean everything. Water isn't wet. You know, things aren't functioning anymore. Just nothing's adding up. If your life feels like that right now, you're still loved. Though we're created to create, the gospel frees us from ever basing our identity on the things we create. You know, when I first started preaching, the worst was after Sunday. It was the Monday blues. Because I would think about the sermon, say, ah, I should have said it this way. Or, ah, that... And I'm very critical of myself, and so Mondays were rough. I would mope around. That was easy when I was single because it didn't affect anybody. But now when I'm married and kids, moping around, it's not easy when you got little human beings crawling on you and, and things to do. So I had to get through this real fast. I knew I couldn't sulk. What freed me was the reality of Scripture to remind me that whether the sermon was good or not doesn't change how God loves me. If my church loves me or not doesn't change God's love for me. The freedom that that brings. Imagine you being freed in your workplaces and your responsibilities to know, though I'm intending to come in here and crush it and do my best and image God and bring flourishing, even if I don't, I'm still loved. That frees you, that liberates you, that actually gives you space to create. I'll close with this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and onward it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are created to create. And thanks be to God, we're not saved by the things that we create. Only he can save us. It's his love that's unchanging. Can we stand to our feet as the worship team comes forward? And if you feel comfortable doing so, could I invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment? The prayer team is in the back. They're to my left and your right. If anything that you came in here carrying in your soul, anything you're wrestling with, anything that's come up for you during the sermon, they would love to pray for you for that and anything else. So over these next few moments, you could slip out of your seat and go to the back and receive prayer. They would love to pray with you. Some powerful things happen when people pray, when people bring their hearts, their requests to God. So I want to encourage you to do so. If you feel comfortable, can I invite us to raise our hands in the presence of God? 
in the scriptures, this posture of raising our hands, it's a physical posture that communicates the inward state of our hearts, that we're saying to God, I'm not here to hide anything. I'm here to receive. I'm here to surrender. I'm here believing that what I need is found in you and I come to receive it. Jesus, I pray for every single person here and I ask that they would understand their creative design, what you created them in mind to do, their purpose, their gifts. Would you help them to discover what their canvas is, what their brush is, and what it looks like for them to create in this world. Lord, would they see the places in this world where there are things that are out of order, out of your design, and when you call them to go into those spaces, would you use them to paint something beautiful, to restore things to your purpose? Jesus, thank you that the gospel isn't just trying to save us in our souls, but the good news of your son is that you're trying to restore everything to its original intent. Let's worship him together at this time.